This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them. Absolutely love the fellowship time, and we will definitely get some more of this in. I just want to make sure we leave Dave enough time to, to bring us the word today. So I'm just going to run through these real quick. Um, if you are not currently getting updates from us, I would encourage you to text at HB Converge to 81010, and then we throw out a couple of uh, handy reminders every week. Uh, or whenever there's something that's going to change. For example, if you get the text reminders, you got one about this morning that we wouldn't be streaming the service from in here and that we'd be part of the main body in the, in the church. So just handy announcements like that. That's what we try to use that for. If you aren't doing that yet, I'd encourage you to. And then also we have the, the Facebook group and an Instagram, and uh, you can check those out as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody knows all this, right? I'll just keep going. It's fine. No. Uh, you got this? Hey, guys, I want to tell you about the uh, food that you've got back there. This is all thanks to Isaac, Ventor- Isaac and Victoria's wedding. Right. Yesterday, there were they started bringing out the food with the wheelbarrow and putting it in our van, and uh, so we brought I don't know seven dozen donuts and all kinds of cookies and all, whatever all the cheese and crackers. So, thanks to Isaac and Victoria, they are not here today for whatever reason, but they, <laughs> we benefited from their wedding yesterday. Thanks for being here. I know the numbers are low. If you can move forward, that would be fantastic. I would appreciate it. Isaac and Victoria, pivotal part of this class, even when they're not here. Um, So small groups, we do plan to continue small groups uh, through the week during the summer. It will look different. This is the slide that we've been using. So that's the slide I've got up today. Don't know if this is the actual plan, but uh, keep an eye out on remind updates. We're figuring that out still. We do plan to do small groups uh, over the summer. Um, We have a podcast now. We've had some video problems getting these uh, messages up on Facebook or up on YouTube. So uh, audio should be a lot easier to do consistently. We're still going to try to get the video out there when we can. But if you miss a week, if you want to catch up, if you want to go back a couple of weeks and see something you missed, uh, make sure and check out the Converge Sunday Mornings podcast that Seth has put together. Uh, and if you're interested in helping out with tech, you can reach out to Seth or you can talk to me and uh, we'll get you back in the booth from time to time, familiarize you with what this setup looks like. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot less hectic when there isn't music, but it's always still helpful to have people back there helping out. For announcements of what's going on in the, uh, in the church, you can check out the hub. If you go to hbclynchburg.com hub you can see all of the announcements although now that we're meeting in there with the the rest of the church uh, hopefully you'll hear more of those announcements in person as well Um, the details are still up in the air we're still figuring this whole part out but 
we are planning on doing a summer mission trip in 2022. Spring break mission trip in 2022. He definitely told me summer mission trip, and that's what I put on the slide, but it's a spring break, spring break mission trip in 2022. Um, so keep an ear out for updates on that. Feel free to, to pester Dave if the updates aren't coming out fast enough. You know, he's, he's got big shoulders. He can handle it. Um, and then this morning, we're going to be continuing the uh, study of 1 Corinthians in the Benchmark series. I know Dave's got a lot of territory to cover there, so this will be uh, a whirlwind of Bible passages, but we're all going to do that together. Um, speaking of things that we're doing together, now that this gathering, like, I absolutely love it when, you know, there's... 120 people in this room and we're, we're busting the doors out and there's new faces and I also like it when things calm down a little bit and uh, I get to just see you guys and I think it'd be great if we could take the next uh, 10 minutes, 7 minutes and just get some updates from you guys. Does anybody have a highlight of this past semester or this past year that they'd like to share, a challenge that God helped them overcome, something specifically that you're learning in the Word, that you have just a nugget that you want to get out there for everybody else? I'd love to hear from you guys. So on that prompt, does anybody have anything, a, a highlight from this semester that you want to share? Ah, go for it, Jeremiah. Let's see if we can hear you. There we go. There we go. That's a big one. Anybody else? Who else is in that same boat? Who else just graduated? Awesome. Excellent. Fantastic. Anybody else? Any other big? Bradley. Nice. Congratulations. There we go. That's some excitement right there. That's not true, Bradley. It doesn't count as much. It still counts. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, anybody else? Any other highlights from this past semester? Any other challenges that God's helped you through that you want to share? Nuggets from God's word? Something that, uh, that really impacted me during men's conference, we were talking about uh, being strong in the faith and standing firm and let all you do be done in love. And uh, Pastor Nathan gave us an illustration of a Maasai warrior who, even in modern day, wraps himself in a great big red cloak. So he could be in the square, in the town, doing business in a suit and a tie, and he's still wrapped in this big red cloak so you can identify him as a Maasai warrior from far away. And as we're told, let all you do be done in love. And we're told that the chief identifying characteristic of God is love. That of all the attributes of God, the one that he identifies by, the one that we know he is, is love. Is that how we characterize ourselves? Is that, is that what I wrap myself in? That people see me from far away and go, oh, that's Josh. He's a loving guy. And I know that's not always the case for me. And that's, that's a charge that I've definitely tried to take up. That if that is has chosen to be his chief defining characteristic, and they will know that we are Christians by our love, how loving are we to the people around us? And uh, that looks a lot of different ways in a lot of different circumstances, and that's something we get to wrestle through with the best way to love people, but that still should be the way that we identify ourselves to people that know us and that don't know us. Anybody have any other updates they want to share? Any highlights? Anything God has carried you through, go for it. 
Yeah, this is my first year on student leadership at Liberty, and I've come to find there is nothing like being on leadership to show you what a terrible leader you are. <laughs> um, it was a very humbling year, but the leadership team that we had there was just phenomenal, and two of the girls in our building came to the Lord. So it was just a really wonderful, humbling experience, and I'm really grateful to, to have had it. That's awesome. It works that way a lot, doesn't it? You know, there's nothing like getting married to show selfish you are or having kids to show you again how selfish you are you know and you get in a season of life where an attribute that you thought you were good at is required of you more and then you understand what a weak and broken person you can be but praise god he uses us anyway anybody else here we go zach uh thank you so after uh, months of praying for a summer internship, uh, God provided me with a fall internship, so I'm pretty happy about that. That's awesome. Uh, I love uh, George Mueller's perspective on that when he was talking about something specifically praying for for more than a year in his life. And he didn't look at it as God not answering his prayer for a year and a half. He looked at it as God so delights in hearing from his people that he wanted me to come fervently before him all this time before he gave me the thing that we both want in my life. And uh, I think that's, that's an awesome perspective, and it's great to see the way that God is coming through. Anybody else? I think we've got time for one more. Awesome. That's really cool. Good deal. Well, it is so good to hear from all of you guys. It's so good to get this opportunity to catch up with, you know, kind of a, a smaller group to see all of you here again. And we'd love to continue to hear your updates, and we'd love to continue to fellowship as a community. We're definitely planning to do that. For now, I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to Dave, and he's going to keep things going in this benchmark series. Yeah, I appreciate all that Josh was just telling us from the men's conference. That's next week's lesson in 1 Corinthians, because so, those verses come from 1 Corinthians 16. Today, we're in somewhere on a lake, not in the benchmark series. Today, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've been studying 1 Corinthians all this semester, some of you have been a part of that the whole time. Some of you, that you're coming into it cold and you're going to kind of jump in uh, in the deep end a little bit here with us. Last week, Pastor Jeff was here and he was kind of giving me a hard time. I don't know if you felt it. Giving me a hard time for giving him 40 verses to get through. Not realizing that this week I'd have 58 verses to get through. <laughs> so... I, don't, I mean, I haven't called him out on it, but I feel like I need to go back and, and complain to him a little bit. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to start you off with, um, with a quote to get you thinking just a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the quote. If Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters process that a little bit. I'm going to get my Bible open to 1 Corinthians 15. You can discuss this just a little bit. Like, what's he saying? Is this the same? Nothing else matters? What, how, do, how do we treat this a little bit? So we're going to get into this a minute. If you guys want to discuss this quote, if you just 
want to discuss how to pronounce his name, you can do that for just a second. We're going to be uh, reading 1 Corinthians 15 in just a second. Guys, we got lots of seats up front here. If you, <laughs> I'm kidding. You you don't have to move now. It's fine. It's fine. All right, so we'll dig, we'll dig into this quote and some other, another quote that's similar to this in, in a few minutes. The idea being that if this is true, that Jesus is risen, then it's kind of like the parable where Jesus talks about the man who finds a treasure, goes, sells everything he can and buys that field, and we just sell out to the fact that Christ is risen and this changes our lives. And if he's not, then what are we doing all this for? None of this other stuff matters. And we're, we're going to get into that. And that's kind of the argument that, that Paul's presenting to the Corinthians today. We're going um, to see him come at it from, uh, from two angles and, and say, okay, if this is really what you believe, then this is how that plays out. And if, and if it's really more what I've been telling you, then this is how that plays out. So why are we doing what we're doing? Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, born, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong in Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as it is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in a natural body, and it's raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, 
so also we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is... A complex passage, but an awesome reality to what is the defining moment of eternity for us. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the implications that follow that. We're going to see that the Corinthians had embraced some philosophy. There's some stuff that was going on in, uh, in Corinth and in the Corinthian church that was being um, emphasized over the truth that they had heard previously. There was some question about, okay, so this resurrection thing, I think they had this creepy view of it, like zombie kind of view of it, that it wasn't a changed body, it was just this raised body from the dead, this reincarnation kind of thing that was that was happening and so there was some confusion about how it happens and that's where that's where Paul goes towards the end of the chapter when he starts to answer the question about so what kind of body is this there was some philosophy going on there was also um, some philosophy about the uh, the negatives of the human body and so if there was a resurrection it wasn't going to be a a material body. It needed to be something spiritual that would happen. So what they did was they embraced this philosophy and they lost sight of the reality and the glory of the resurrection. They missed the point. And we've been seeing this pretty consistently through the book of 1 Corinthians that, that there's this truth that really most of the time they had already seen at some point or another through their experience with Paul. Paul himself had said this, he, you know, he tells us that sometimes. I told you, or why are you listening to this, or things like that. Here's another one. You, you think this, but, but you're missing the point. The resurrection is the change. It's not just something you have to muddle through. This is what you can revel in. This is what... This is what carries you through. This is where mystery turns into victory. Because Jesus rose from the dead, and because Jesus did, so will you. And if Jesus didn't, what makes you think you will? 
And if that's the case, what's the point of any of this? That's where Paul is today. So we're going to see that, uh, that hopefully he steers them away from this philosophy that's taking precedence in their, in their teaching and, and redirect them and redirect us to the importance and the glory that's found in the resurrection. I'm going to break this down into, um, into a four-part outline. We're going to start with a, a common starting point. I mean, I didn't really. Paul did this, right? We're going to try to align ourselves with what Paul did. And he started with this common ground that they had. We'll cover that in, in a minute. But, um, but he started with something they could agree on. It's kind of a really great method of arguing, right? Like, let's find some common ground. Maybe we can work from there. So, so Paul starts there with the common ground. And then he goes with three arguments from logic. He takes their idea and he, he traces it out to kind of a logical conclusion. And he gives truth and teases it out to its logical conclusion. And then, and then he gives these other arguments, which gets really muddy for a minute because... He discusses this baptism for the dead stuff and doesn't really give us an end to that argument. We kind of walk away with, okay, Paul, so what's the, can we get, we could get wrapped up on that today. We're not going to, which might leave you a little bit uh, wanting in that category. Like, so how are we supposed to handle this baptism from the dead? We'll cover it a little bit. We won't be able to cover it uh, maybe, well, frankly, you just, can't. Paul doesn't say one way or another from, from these verses right here, but we can be assured that baptism from the dead does not meet with other parts of scripture, so we'll, we'll get there. Then he gives some answers to their questions about the nature of the resurrected body, and then what I love is he wraps up with the victory that's found in the mysteries of the resurrection, so that we can be challenged to carry on in what we're doing with hope that it's not in vain. In fact, assurance that it's not in vain. And that we can strive for his glory in his mission because the resurrection is real. So the common starting point. Um, we read in verses 1 through 11 that he... he he knows that they believe in the resurrection of Jesus, okay? So this is, this is something they haven't abandoned. In this philosophy that they've been chasing, for Paul to start out with this common ground means that, that they've kind of just abandoned resurrection for anybody else, but that they still rely on this resurrection for Jesus. And so, so he meets there, and so we read things like, I delivered to you this gospel, and in a very succinct way, he gives us the truth, of the gospel. If you, ever, if you ever need that elevator pitch of what the gospel is, it's, it's right here. Christ died for our sins according, in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Like this, is, this is the core of it. This is what changes the trajectory of humanity when they follow Jesus. Is that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised again conquering death and providing salvation for you and providing it for me. And so he, he then, you know, teases this out a little bit more. Like, this is not just a story. The, we have witnesses. 
mean, how much would you love to be able to go and talk to one of the face-to-face witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, right? So Paul is communicating with people who could do that, theoretically. He says he appeared to over 500 people, most of whom are still alive, almost wanting to hear, so go talk to them. Right? So go prove that Jesus was there. If you have any question about it, they are here. You can talk to them. I mean, I wish I could. Right? Hear the stories. Like what, what was going on? Put a, put a kind of a picture together of the events that took place. And so was he different? Did, it seem, did he seem like his old self? Was he, you know, was, was there like a glow about him? Was, you know, to hear the story of what was going on. Go talk to them. This isn't, this isn't some storyline, kind of like we heard about Jonah this morning. This isn't a fable. This is real life and real resurrection that took place. And if we agree on this, then let's, let's play out the scenario that would happen if, if it didn't really take place. Okay? Or if you, if you say you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but not anybody else, like how does that work? Tim Keller writes, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? It's along the same lines of the quote we saw at the beginning of this. There's a lot riding on the truth of the resurrection. It makes Jesus out to be the fulfiller of prophecies or a complete liar. So if Jesus rose from the dead, then then we have to accept what he said. And if he didn't, then what's the point of doing any of this? Why the religiosity if this relationship is, it can't be real. So after he, after he starts with this starting point, he comes in and he, he says, okay, this is what you believe. If this is true, if this is what you're saying is true, if, or excuse me, if what you're saying is true, then this is how it plays out. Follow my, follow my train of thought. If Jesus can't be raised from, or sorry, if you can't be raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus also can't be res- resurrected from the dead. It's not, it's not okay to divide one from the other completely. Now, there are lots of things that Jesus did, experienced, that we won't necessarily you know, be able to experience in that same kind of sense. But, but what Paul is saying is that this resurrection thing is not a one-time event. Jesus said that where I go, you'll be with me. These are things that are going to follow our life in following him. We will be resurrected as well. Paul says, but if there's not resurrection from the dead, then Christ couldn't have been raised because because that just can't happen. This has to be the same. We are following Jesus. He's the first fruits, so then we follow him in this. If, If, in fact, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then everything I've told you is meaningless. My entire life and ministry is meaningless. Your faith and participation in in this is meaningless. If that's the end that you're trying to get to, then, 
okay, but that's not what you're trying to communicate here. What you're saying is there's something different from what happened with Jesus to what's happening with us. And I'm telling you that we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, that we are resurrected as he was resurrected. If the dead were not raised, not even Christ was raised. And if only in this life do we follow Jesus... If your hope in Jesus is limited to the lifespan that you have on this earth, Paul says we are of all people most to be pitied because we're living a lie. So then he turns the corner and he says, okay, but if in fact Jesus has been raised from the dead and you also are raised from the dead, and then God is going to put all things, including death itself, because of the ability of God to resurrect you from the dead, then God will put death itself in subjection to him. It was back around Easter time, I think at the Good Friday service, that Pastor Nathan said a quote that's kind of stuck with me, and, and it, it, it relates to this here, that, that in Jesus' weakest moment, on dying on the cross, that he was victorious over Satan's greatest weapon. That in Jesus' weakest moment, he was victorious over Satan's greatest weapon. That Jesus conquered death in his death and resurrection. And we then receive the victory because of Jesus' death on the cross. What I begin to see with these, um, with these Corinthians is that this theological speculation of what does resurrection really mean? Of, of, okay, so if there is resurrection, what's the resurrected body like? And, and they, you know, they're trying to play this out in, in some speculative kind of conversations in the church. Is, that's how I'm imagining this going, right? That there's some people who are passionate about this and they're taking some people to their side. And it's getting discussed in the, in the church service maybe before and after. You, you kind of get the picture, right, of, of this time that's getting... It's getting animated as they're trying to determine, well, Paul says this, but who's Paul? He's just, you know. It's possible to, get, to let theological speculation obscure otherwise biblical truth. Otherwise clear biblical truth. It's possible to let theological speculation obscure otherwise clear biblical truth. That they were teasing out these things that that were mysteries to the detriment of the truth of the resurrected Jesus. And it was steering them off course. And, and really, if you want to use the words of Paul, making their faith right now in vain. Because they, they weren't useful. They were concentrating on these things that were unknowable and steering them off course. And now they're Missing the point, Paul goes so far as to say at the end, wake up from your drunken stupor. Don't go on sinning. Some people don't even know God, and this is to your shame. Before he gets there, though, he says a few other things that, um, that are interesting conversations. Okay, we, I started to, to reveal this idea of baptizing from the de- for the dead. 
Um, there's just a ton of speculation as to what Paul was, what these people were doing, what they thought they were gaining by being baptized for the dead. Maybe the wording is weird and what we're reading here is, you know, missing the main point. Maybe they were getting baptized for those who were followers of Jesus but didn't get baptized before they died and so they were trying to fill that space for them. Maybe they were being baptized because they all knew that they were going to die, that this was, or maybe they were being baptized in the face of death. Like, there's just tons of speculation. If you take the clear reading of Scripture that, that we read right here, I think they're just confused. And Paul is probably hitting the more important point first and would come circle back around to, to deal with this. At, at a, we know that we don't have all of the conversations that happen between Paul and the Corinthian church. Like you can actually read that there is a letter or two missing. We don't have the Corinthians conversations to Paul. We have only Paul's and then there's one that's not in our copy of scripture. And so maybe he circles back around and he says, by the way, you really shouldn't do this either. (laughs) But his point right now is to say, if you believe that there's no resurrection, why are you even doing this? It just doesn't fit your pattern of behavior. You seem to believe that there's some kind of resurrection, but your, but your belief that you're stating doesn't align with that. Then he goes on. He just kind of hits that and moves on, and we're just left wanting a little bit. But he goes on to say, why do I risk my life for the sake of something that's not real? Why do I put myself in harm's way? Why do you do what you're doing if the real point of life is eat and drink and be merry and tomorrow it's done? But that's not the truth. So wake up. There's something more important, eternally important at stake and you are debating like how this is supposed to work wake up and let people know about God and his grace and the work of Jesus on their behalf and the resurrection is real and it will change their lives for some have no knowledge of God so I think to answer their questions he goes on to talk about what the nature of this body is and he so he gives them some clues of the, the glorified body that comes as a result of the resurrection. And, and not that he maybe knows everything, but he, he's more aware of what, what God's doing in their lives. He's an apostle. He's spent time with Jesus. He knows more. And so he says, he says these, it's just life here, right? That when we sow a seed and it dies, it grows into something that it was not before. We don't just get a seed back, this weak version of what this plant is going to be. We don't, we don't get that back. We get something greater, bigger, more majestic. And we're just talking about plants. So if that's true, then this is true, that, that we will take on the image of the very one of heaven. Just like we have this image of Adam now, 
the man of dust, so, so are we. Now, as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so he kind of, I think his attempt is to alleviate this twisted sense of what the resurrection means. That it's not just a whole bunch of zombie life that's going to happen after this time period. That it's a glorified body, one that, one that is better than what it is now. And he closes his arguments with a challenge to the victory that comes in this mystery. And I think we have to accept the fact that there are just some things we're not going to know about God. And I don't know where you're at on that. Some of us don't like mystery. We don't like surprises. We don't like questions in life. We want to know the plan. We want to be able to arrive at the end, knowing all the steps in between. And we just really feel uncomfortable with mystery. And in a spiritual sense, some of us try to eliminate this mystery so that we can feel more comfort in what feels solid and structured and understandable and grasped graspable is that a word I don't know I just made it up that we can walk away with it but if that's who our God is then and we're able to have some mastery over the truth of our God then doesn't that limit who God is and so to be able to revel in the mystery of God to be able to celebrate that he's bigger than us like that is that's thrilling to me That's exciting and that's motivating to me that my God is bigger than what I can fully understand. I think that's where Paul is going here, that that there is a mystery. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is a mystery. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we are all going to be changed. We might not all die and go through this resurrection process that we're describing here. But we will all be changed to be like Jesus. When Jesus comes, the perishable puts on the, Im- or the, yeah, the, perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. And this is how we get to see the victory of God over death. This is big. Satan's Greatest weapon defeated in Jesus' humanly weakest moment. And it changes your trajectory for eternity. Death is swallowed up in victory. The sting that death has comes from sin. And the power that it has is the law, but but Jesus gives victory so in that last section there's victory in the mystery and and it's not just that Paul leaves us with this opportunity to enjoy this victory right I I think he could there's victory here celebrate it but then he gives us this punch of motivation to say 
if this is true, then you stand strong in what you're doing for Christ. Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Because what you're doing is not in vain. He had, he had gone through all these scenarios where if, that, if these things play out the way they look like you're trying to make them play out, then everything we're doing is vanity. It's meaningless. It's worthless. We shouldn't even worry about it. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why go through all the hoops if it's meaningless? And he ends with saying, this isn't meaningless. What you're doing here, following Christ, what you're doing here, making a difference in people's lives, what you're doing here, celebrating before other people the victory that comes over death because of the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf and his, re- his resurrection that we will get to participate in because resurrection is real, this is not in vain. So keep doing what you're doing. We can remain confident in our hope in Christ, and we can stay busy in our work on his behalf because the mystery does not prevent the victory. In fact, they encourage me about the nature of my God. The mystery will not prevent the victory. So I want to give you some thoughts to, to walk away with today. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Don't minimize it. It's what sets him apart from all other religious figures in history. It's what defines our hope in Christ. It's what changes the trajectory of humanity to those who follow him. The resurrection changes everything. Also, Don't allow yourself to obscure truth in an attempt to resolve God's mystery. There's victory in those mysteries. And lastly, trust what God is doing behind the scenes. As you seek to abound in the work of the Lord, it's not in vain. There's some hesitation on our behalf to trust those things that are outside of our control. I get that, right? We're control freaks, all of us. Some more than others, but we don't want to give up that control. But God's at work. And even in the mysteries that we feel uncomfortable with, that we crave answers to, God's at work. So find your hope in him find your joy in him find your motivation in him and keep doing what you're doing abounding in the work of the Lord because it's not in vain and he is working through you when you're aligning yourself with him and you're allowing him to to work in your life and then you and then you're motivated and you're filled up with him and you're acting on his behalf in the lives of others, this is not in vain. So be steadfast, immovable, abounding in what God is doing. It's not in vain. So we have a few minutes left. This is fantastic. 58 verses. And we have a few minutes left. I want you to talk about it. We're going to spend some time answering some questions. You won't be able to talk about it enough. 
I don't think. There's 58 verses. But we'll have those chances as small groups meet this week. Watch for the remind um, announcements as to, you know, the consistency of where those are and everything. But we'll talk more about it in those venues. Here's the questions that I have for you related to what I just put on the screen. What's different in your life if the resurrection of Jesus isn't real? If, in fact, the resurrection of Jesus is not true, what changes? Now, don't stay there too long. Celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, right? But, but what does that change? What philosophies, or I put in quote theologies, like I love the study of God, so I'm not, I'm not you know, minimizing that, but, there, but maybe some tangents on some of those theologies. What are most likely to distract you from the clear gospel of Christ? Where are you likely to miss the point by getting distracted by a sub-point? And what strengthens your faith to continue the work of God in spite of the mysteries that you encounter? Things about God, about the work of Jesus, that strengthen your faith to carry you through the mysterious times, the question marks, the, the difficulties. What are, what are those things that you rally your own energy on because of the work of Christ in your life? So let's discuss that a little bit. I'll be back in five minutes or so to just, you know, kind of wrap things up. But I invite you with the people that you're near or move around to somebody else that's close to you and, and discuss some of these questions. And how does it play out in your life when you leave these doors here? All right? Some music while we're talking. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.